Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Curls of smoke drifted around the Bruja Café, a pleasant floral aroma filling the space while hints of an unknown herb tickled my nose, making me sneeze. Salud, said Elena Torres, the pierced and tattooed woman holding the smoldering bouquet, as she wafted a bit more smoke towards me. Adina Awan, Elena's girlfriend and my best friend, stood next to her, breathing the mixture in, bathing in the smoke. I held back a cough. Didn't we already cleanse the place? Elena nodded, circling me with a smoke-cleansing stick in her hand. Yes, but I did some research and saw that guava leaves were used in ancient Filipino practices, the same way the indigenous people here use sage. I thought it would bring some good energy into the shop and be something nice for your ancestors without us having to appropriate white sage. This is a special blend of guava leaves, rosemary, and lavender my mom and I grew in our greenhouse. This is GP Gottlieb, and today I'm talking to author and book coach Mia P. Manansala. The second book in her Tia Rosa mystery series, called Homicide and Halo Halo, is, as she writes in her prologue, a cozy mystery with humor and food and love and a happy ending. But she also wanted to prepare readers, in case they aren't in the right headspace, for serious issues such as PTSD, fat phobia, fertility, pregnancy issues, predatory behavior, unresolved grief, parental death, and dismissive attitudes toward mental health. It's all that, but it's also simply a fun, sometimes silly, mystery. Hi, Mia. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Galit. So how did you start writing this whole Tia Rosa series. So the Tita Rosie's Kitchen Mystery series, um, it started with a joke almost. Uh, so I have a wonderful mentor named Kelly Garrett, and we both write traditional mysteries, and we both really love the cozy mystery genre. And one day we were talking about some of the books we've been reading lately, and she noted that a lot of the contemporary cozies she'd been reading followed a lot of rom-com tropes. Um, you know, like it's it's almost always like a youngish single woman from a small town or at the very least a small tight-knit community. They leave, um, and but something always brings them back, whether it's a family, like their family is in need or they have a failed relationship or things aren't quite what they expect in their career. Something always brings them back home. And, you know, there's usually that that sense of like, you know, the, the, the quirky characters, there's almost always a romantic subplot. And so as we were kind of like noting these these similarities, I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> cozies are just rom-coms with dead bodies. Um, but, you know, like that was it. Yeah, we just kind of, you know, had our conversation and, you know, set it aside, moved on to other things. But that idea just kind of stayed with me until one day I was riding the train to work. And the first line of what would become the, my debut novel popped into my head, which is, my name is Lila Makapagal, and my life has become a rom-com cliche. And, you know, basically after that, um, 
I knew that that was a story that was a very like she named herself like she like i my you know my mom who was the person who got me into reading mysteries particularly cozy mystery she was like oh what made you choose that name and i like i have no idea it popped fully formed that the first two lines of that book have stayed the same since i since i first wrote it back in 2018. wow so Homicide in Halo Halo centers around the Miss Teen Shady Palms pageant. And the protagonist, Lila, tells us that she once had the honor of winning the pageant. I want to know, is that a literary device or were you, the author, um, pushed into one contest after another like your protagonist as a kid? No, beauty pageants were never for me. Um, my family enjoyed watching them, uh, my mom in particular, but they they knew that they, it was not for me. Um, but I, I drew on it because I thought, you know, I asked myself, like, what are <laughs> if, 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 what is like the Venn diagram of like small town America and the Philippines? Oh, they really love beauty pageants. You know, again, being very general here. And I knew that that's that particular setting would be ripe for drama. It would, you know, introduce a, an interesting set of characters. It would let me explore some of the ideas that I have about like colonial standards of beauty and, you know, and the patriarchy and, and things like that. But while also still just being like a really fun, interesting setting for a murder mystery. And it was. I especially love culinary mysteries and was intrigued by the Filipino foods Lila talks about and bakes. So first, where can I get banana spring rolls and yummy hala hollow in Chicago? And second, can you say something about your own cooking, baking background? Sure. So I haven't eaten out that much because um, in my house, my father was the cook. So his is the benchmark that we, that my family holds all Filipino food to. And, and, and all these years later, we consider his still among the best. But if we he, he's gone now, unfortunately. So if we if we miss that taste of home. Uh, you know, of a family. There's a place called Ruby's Fast Food. Um, I believe it's in Albany Park. They do. It's it's almost like cafeteria style, where like everything's already cooked and laid out, and you can kind of see it and point to what you want. Um, called like dura dura, like point point. You just point at the things that you like. And there's a similar one um, in a suburb just outside of Chicago called uh, Lola Tining's Cuisine. Uh, I think Lola Tining's Cuisine uh, in Oak Park. I've written them both down. Thank you so much for the recommendation. <laughs> the, there were several times when I had to get up to get a snack while I was reading your book. So Lila wears a distinctive shade of lipstick. And although you and I haven't met, I've seen you several times at Sisters in Crime Zoom meetings. And I've noticed that you, Mia Manansala, also wear a very beautiful, distinctive shade of lipstick. Mm, any comments? So... Yeah, for me, so Lila is someone who takes much more care with her appearance than I do. So she she really is very much into like makeup and fashion and things like that. Um, whereas I like those things, but I don't usually put in as much effort as she does. But I do really appreciate how like a nice bold lip can kind of completely transform uh, your look. It's, it's a really easy way to look put together. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, she would. Like, this is something she would definitely be into. And I felt like, particularly for the book cover, it's something that would help make it pop. Mm -hmm. What about the color thing? 
that she wears dark colors only. Yeah. So one of the things is when I was writing her character, I wanted to make sure she was not just a self-insert for me. So like, you know, of course, like there are some things we do have in common, but she's not me, right? She's not a stand-in for me. So like, you know, I, I started very basic, like, okay, I'm fairly tall, so she's short, right? I absolutely hate cardio whereas like jogging is like her go-to for like exercise and mental health and stuff like that um i love bright bold almost like gaudy obnoxious colors so i made her um like she 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 goes more towards dark tones um and so you know just like i started very surface level just to kind of separate us in my mind and then i dug deeper into our personalities later on but but surface is where i started and that's that's why i did that Mm, interesting. So Lila's grandmother and godmothers all helped raise her after her mother's death. They adore her and she endures a but she endures a lot of comments about her weight. It can mm-hmm. be disturbing for a young woman. Can you say more? Yeah, it's one of those things where like I was raised for it to be very typical for someone, even if they don't know you that well, if they're just like a family friend to to make comments about your appearance. So they're, you know, the op- when we're introduced to the calendar crew, who are her godmothers, uh, one of them, like Nina, I th- believe it's Nina April says like, oh, you get bigger every time I see you, you know, like, that's something that's been said to me. That's just it's considered and it's it's not. The sad thing is, like, these are never meant to be hurtful. Like, these are just, like, one, observations. And then, two, like, they say that because they love you and they worry about you and they have all these ideas in their head of of how you're supposed to be or what you're supposed to be. And they don't necessarily realize how what they're saying can be painful. Um, And, you know, it's it's an experience that I've talked, you know, a lot of other you know, Filipino and, and also, you know, Asian American friends that, you know, that I've talked to. So like the, the aunties are not based on like any one person in my life, but like an amalgamation of all the aunties that me and my friends have talked about and complained about and still love, but really wish that we didn't have to deal with those kinds of comments. Um, and so that's, that's one of the reasons I, in my author's note, I mentioned like the fat phobia because it's, it would be real considering how normalized it is in our culture, like it would be strange for me not to have those kinds of comments. But at the same time, I recognize that if you're just in for like a fun ride and you read something like that and you're instantly, you know, triggered because you, you've been hearing that your whole life, you know, I wanted to kind of prepare people for that as well. Mm-hmm. So Valerie, whose family sponsors the Miss Teen pageant, introduces Lila and another one of the judges as both women of color who've gone on to do great things. And Lila and Sana, the other woman, exchange glances that speak of the frustration they feel at moments like this. They note to themselves that that Valerie is oblivious. What strikes them about that? It's not, sometimes when it comes to like, that's what we would consider a microaggression. And a lot of times it's not necessarily the words that are used, but kind of like the implications, right? And she's not just like, you know, uh, it's, it's not like just an accolade, like, oh, and they've done such wonderful things. There is, at least in the context of scene, like a note of surprise, um, you know, or it's almost like, it's like the fact that they are women of color almost like contrast the fact that like, oh, like, and they somehow managed to have done so well for themselves as if like it's um, unexpected. 
Mm-hmm. And again, so it's it's one of those things where like if you have lived through those moments, right? Because you know, Valerie is not again, she's not intending to say anything diminishing or hurtful. In fact, she really is proud of these women. That's why she is trying to champion them. But the the little digs that she doesn't realize are in those words that that the, the the fact that she's surprised is insulting in itself you know a lot of people don't notice the bias that they have but for those of us who live through it you're just like oh yeah well all right you know again kind of a thing yeah lila learns that one of the contestants never met her father and another has a father who never shows up she wonders and this is a quote, if it's worse to grow up without your parents or to have parents who didn't give you the time of day, that's a, a really heavy question for a cozy mystery, but it gets the reader into Lila's head. How did you come to combine one of the lightest weight forms of writing, meaning cozy mysteries, mm-hmm. with some of the deepest and most thoughtful questions <laughs> about the human condition? Oh, well, first of all, thank you for that. And one of the things that I've tried to keep in my mind is, one, readers pick up cozy mysteries for a reason, right? They are not looking for the really dark, heavy, gritty stuff. They're looking for escapism. And I want, you know, I, that's why I pick them up, particularly, you know, the way things are now. So I want to respect that. But at the same time, I want, I feel like there is a disservice when, when they are, when, we do not fully take into account that this is also, it's still crime fiction, right? Um, we still have to, you know, someone, someone is murdered and how is it affecting the people around them? I feel like that's the point of having an amateur sleuth is that these are, you know, in this world, just regular people trying to live their lives, trying to get by. And this murder shakes things up and makes them question things about themselves and the people they thought they knew. So, trying to hold both of those things in my mind you know this is like sometimes you know it can get a little heavy-handed but there are i feel that especially for someone of her age and she's only 25 years old these kinds of questions of justice um would be really natural for her to be tangling with yeah i suppose so She's also lactose intolerant, also a common problem for my people, but not something that usually comes up in novels. She's, Lila's hysterical. Sometimes nothing else will do, and she's willing to suffer so that she can have real dairy once in a while. So uh, again, I'd like to know if you're speaking from experience or what, what do you have to say about that? I, I'm not like Hosan Tom, but I feel like I slowly am becoming that. I'm like, oh no, did I just like, <laughs> did I curse myself by writing this into my character? Um, but a lot of Asian, it's it's fairly common for Asian Americans to be lactose intolerant. So again, this was, you know, me trying to add a quirk in some ways, because, I, I you know, I was trying to think to myself, like, how would someone like her try to comfort herself? But also, how would this comfort also be a problem? So for someone like her, you know, it would be, you know, lattes and surprisingly Filipino food contains a lot of dairy, you know, so like the things that she loves and brings her the most comfort can also bring a lot of discomfort. And and I just thought, you know, just like something really simple and seems kind of throw away, but that I could have fun with um, exploring her character and really kind of getting into her head. Yeah. There's also a whole uh, part about uh, gluten-free food because her friend has uh, celiac, I think. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, it, it's uh, called like, gluten ataxia. Is is so? It's one of those things where I one of the things I love about including food in my books is that you know, like yeah, okay, yes, it's kind of like food porn the way I described it, but at the same time, and hopefully people catch this. I'm using food to examine many different things, right? One of the most obvious ones is the idea is food as love. So Tita, Tita means aunt in, in Tagalog. So her aunt, that's how she shows love, right? She's not very physically affectionate. She doesn't necessarily say I love you all the time, but through service and the food that she makes, she shows the care that she has to each person. So that's, that's one of the reasons, that's another reason I brought in dietary restrictions, right? Because, you know, her, her grandmother is very old school. She's like, you get what you get. You know, she's not going to take special orders. Whereas the aunt is like, okay, you're a vegetarian, you're gluten-free, you're like, and you know, you're Muslim, so you can't eat pork. She takes these things into account. She remembers these about her customers because for her, the most important thing is that these people get to enjoy her food. Um, mm. and there's, and there's just many different levels that I'm going when I'm using food. Like what are like the relationships between the characters? Um, what are, uh, you just like so many different, you know, food is political in many ways too. And, and I touch on that in various ways. So one of, yeah, so, you know, like, yeah, okay. Gluten allergy. Yeah. That, you know, that's just like an added character benefit. It also, kind of reveals the world that we have around us, you know, with many different kinds of people, um, different kinds of abilities and things like that. But it also kind of deepens the, the through line I have in all the books, which is about food and what it means to different people. Coffee also has a starring role. It's almost like a whole separate <laughs> char character. Can, we, can you give a moment to, to discuss that? Yeah, so... I'm actually more of a tea person, but like coffee and like just like the idea of a coffee shop. It's one of those pipe dreams I feel like so many of us had, like the idea of being like a writer who also runs like their own like coffee and tea shop and bakes delightful pastries and things like that. I, so I wanted to include that in my books because um, I also feel like cafes are can be like great like community spots you know in the before times I loved writing in cafes because I kind of just like being you know like the 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 white noise the the sounds of like the espresso machine looking around at all the various people and like how they're spending their time uh, I just I really love like that that little world and it, you know the the smells, the caffeine, obviously, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, like all those various things. In the before times, as you said, mm -hmm. so religion plays a big role in Lila's family, and she goes to church with her family. She says grace before meals, but she's also accepting of everyone else's religion opinion. Mm -hmm. Like her best friend is Muslim, mm -hmm. and um. And um, her best friend's girlfriend is building a sanctuary of some kind. Mm -hmm. I don't know what religion that was. But how did, how did she come to be so open-minded, Lila? I mean, I just feel like with many generations, and especially the way, like, if you are raised in a place where there's all different kinds of people around you, you kind of, like, naturally gravitate to it. You know, so she grew up... Um, so again, Shady Palms obviously is, is, is a fake town, but I kind of patterned it partially on like a Chicago suburb 
And so I also want to dispel the idea, you know, like when you think small town America, most people will default to white because that's that's what has been um, what we most often see in media, white and very often like uh, like like hardcore Christian white. And so I wanted to show that, well, you know, even in small towns, there is diversity. There are like usually like pockets of it. And with her town in particular, there, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if I mentioned in this book or in the third book. Sorry, I, I just turned in the third book like a week ago, so some some of the storylines are a little bit crossed in my head. You know, she grew up in an area that had a large Muslim and Jewish um, population, so like you know, it, it's like Christmas wasn't like celebrated in schools. It was not, you know, like this is the one true religion or this is the only way of being. Um, even though her, she personally wouldn't consider herself religious, but her family very much is. Um, but her aunt, you know, again, is, is believing and accepting of all. Like, just because you don't believe what she does doesn't mean, you know, <laughs> doesn't automatically you a bad person or or not deserving of her love and care. So the, the influences she's been surrounded with have helped make her who she is. Mm-hmm. I was also wondering about that town, Shady Palms, two hours from Chicago. And I'm thinking like Joliet, mm-hmm. where, where's two hours from Chicago? <laughs> um, small town. Hmm. Aurora? No, that's the second biggest city in <laughs> Illinois. Anyway, it's a pretend town, right? Yes, so. yes. Um, one last little thing. Lila listens to the Eagles. I, I saw them live in 1974. Do millennials really still listen to the Eagles? My father. So one ah. of the things, so particularly in book two, there's a sense of like nostalgia because both of her parents died. Um, I believe I said it's in a car accident when she was a child. So her memories of them are just, are, are very much tinged in a sense of nostalgia. She has so little of them that she kind of clings to the things that she still has. So, you know, the beauty pageant brings up memories of her mother for for better or worse. Um, I haven't really explored much her relationship with her father yet, but her her attention to music um, is her father's tastes. And I, I you know, I did that on purpose because as I, I, can't, I believe I mentioned earlier, like my father is no longer with us, um, but I wanted his his you know so again he was the cook so his love uh, his his um love language of cooking and service i instilled that in tita rosie because i wanted you know people to see that um her musical tastes i mean it's not all she listens to you know like it's no. but but she has a um a fondness for like the eagles and you know james taylor and stevie wonder and you know music that you wouldn't expect a 12 a 25 year old to necessarily listen to right, but because right. she grew up listening to it because her parents loved it and her father was you know big into singing and so is she you know it it, it just became part of her well that was fun for me to see anyway <laughs> <laughs> so you just turned in the third book now what so book three comes out this year as well. <laughs> book two came out last week. Book three comes out in October um, and it's centered around Christmas times titled Blackmail and Bibinka. And um, my publisher has also bought the next three books in the series. So it was originally meant to just be a three book series, but they, I guess it's done well and they wanted to extend it. So book four uh, is titled Murder and Mamon and it comes out sometime in 2023. 
Oh my goodness. You have a lot of work on your plate. You better get off the phone and start <laughs> writing. Thank you so much, Mia Manansala, for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me. Appreciate it. And thank you for joining me. Again, this is GP Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking with mystery author Mia Manansala about her newest cozy mystery, Homicide and Hollow Hollow. Hope all of you listeners are able to lose yourself in a good book today and tomorrow too. Happy reading. <laughs>